we were going to buy this property, sell it in a year's time when I get it rezoned and you know upzoned, sell it for five and a half, six million dollars, and they'll make a million dollars. So I thought it was a good deal for them, a good deal for me. Twenty doors just shut in my face. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyne Shump and in this episode, we're speaking with property expert John L. Fitzgerald who operates his business in five states across Australia. We'll follow his journey as he evolves from 18-year-old fledging developer to the author of Seven Steps to Wealth and the man who set up a $3 million deal that nobody thought he could pull off. Starting his company when he was very young, Fitzgerald has invaluable experience in creating and running a business. But it is finding a purpose and balance along the way that has been a challenge. My name is John Leonard Fitzgerald and my company is JLF. And I started my company when I was 18 years old, which is which is crazy. And I must have had these these egotistical visions of grandeur of having, you know, all these companies. And now I suppose I've got 26 companies that I've operated for over 30 years. And I look back on the whole journey and say, wow, you do need to have some balls. You need to get out there and make a statement of who you are or who you want to be at, at you know, at, at certain stage. But you've also got to have some balance to that. And I suppose during the interview, I'll, I'll, I'll give your listeners some um, some of the balances I've found being uh, valuable to me uh, in creating, running a business and finding purpose in both those two things. So what does he do in any given day? My main business is property uh, and I'm a, a, I do property development and I also run a school for youth at risk. So I do two things on any particular day. Uh, I coach my headmaster at the school. We have uh, 100 boys who have been kicked out of all mainstream schools and uh, we have you know just shit going on all the time there. And the second thing is I oversee my operation which is in five states and we do, you know, we've done 370 developments in five states around Australia and we're developing, you know, pretty much all over the place. Mm, wow. That is phenomenal. I mean, how do you manage all that? That's the thing. It's quite a lot going on. As I think about it, I think I'm, I need to go and have a lie down right now. <laughs> <laughs> Growing up, Fitzgerald's upbringing was colored by the trauma of a parent's passing and financial struggle. Well, uh, my story, I find my, my, my story interesting in, that, in this regard. I'm a Melbourne boy, born and bred in Moorabbin, um, one of five kids from an Irish Catholic family. And, you know, Fitzgerald, obviously, the Fitzgeralds immigrated from Ireland, you know, in the early 1900s and uh, landed in Melbourne. And um, grandfather had 11 kids and my dad was the youngest of those 11, so so to speak, or, or, or 10. Um, when So when I was eight years old, um, I'm the third in the pecking order, I have two older brothers and two younger sisters. Um, my, my dad was killed in a car accident and it was a, you know, life is, a, is an amazing thing because, uh, the timing of it couldn't have been, you know, any worse for mum because dad had, you know, three businesses, menswear stores that were, they were going okay, but really needed his, his involvement. And mum was a stay at home mum. And on top of all of that, 
they had had a, a house under construction, half under construction. So, you know, life just wears turmoil. And mum was a 40-year-old um, uh, widow who had to then go into business. And she hadn't worked in, you know, for the last 15 years as she was bringing up kids. The three older kids, uh, which is I was eight and my two other brothers, 10 and 12, a year later, mum said, look, you know, we, we, we're struggling. We need to send you away to boarding school. And this is 19, oh, what was it, 1974. And so I got the news that I was going to be sent to, uh, that she, she went to the Christian Brothers in, uh, in Melbourne and said, will you take these boys, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I was shipped off to Christian Brothers College or, or St. Pat's in Ballarat which became, you know, the, the whole, there was a whole controversy and this whole George Pell thing going on at the moment. The epicentre of that was in Ballarat and, and probably St. Pat's and, and, and everything going on there. And, I, I, you know, and just a, a sidebar on this, so I was listening to, I don't take that much interest in, uh, in it, but I was listening to the, uh, you know, bits and pieces uh, on the news in relation to the inquiry. And uh, I heard a lady say that, you know, the, the damage that, 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 that had happened over that time can be um, equated to the fact that 40, 40 kids or, you know, their families committed suicide who attended St. Pat's during that particular time. And I was, saying, I, when I was listening to, I was in my garage listening to that, thinking, wow, I actually know some of those kids who committed suicide and then just put two and two together that they must have been victims of, you know, the, the sexual abuse. After completing his schooling there, he was ready to get out and find a positive direction in his life. But anyway, I, I landed at boarding school at age 10 um, in 1974. And uh, I'd honestly say I spent five and a half years. I got kicked out of that school in um, in year 11, uh, what, you, what you call. And then... Crazily enough, mum begged them to take me back in year 12 because, uh, you know, I, I just thought there was no chance of me getting matriculating. So they took me back in year 12. But the minute I finished school, I was out of there. I was out of Ballarat and I was out of Melbourne. And I hitchhiked from Melbourne. Like uh, the, the, I finished in 1979. In January 1980, I went downstairs, uh, said to mum, uh, had a backpack, mum, I'm off. Where are you going? Um, you know, I'm 16 years old. Yeah. Mum, I'm 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 hitchhiking to Queensland. That's oh, it. There's oh no, there's nothing there's nothing for me in Melbourne. And uh, you know, I've had a gutful. <laughs> how is that? I don't know what happened. You know, I, I must have been. I, I, when I think back, I think, Jesus, how imagine having a 16 year old like me? It would be terrible. Yeah. And uh, so, mum, mum, look. By all means, she she was. I think she was glad to get rid of me. You know, she thought, well, whatever whatever happens, I wash my hands of you because I can't I can't look after you. You know, so, okay, fine. So I hitchhiked from Melbourne to Queensland, and that's when um, I think I think life uh, took another turn. You know, and I often tell kids, uh, you know, that the who who I mentor, you know, John, what should I do when I finish school, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So here's what you should do: get out of your comfort zone and go on and discover yourself. And the thing about leaving Melbourne and coming to Queensland, I did not know anybody. So I had to reinvent myself. And I could reinvent myself in whatever way that I thought, you know, I, I wanted to be. And I, I got here in 1980, the middle of a massive property boom going on. And you could feel it. You could feel it in the energy, you know, as you always do. And I thought, wow, I've got to get into that. I, I've got to be a part of that. So I started work as a 16-year-old. I started work. Um, in a real estate office selling real estate for a guy called a fantastic guy called Bert Cockrell. 
And Bert was the jack of all trades. He was, uh, uh, he was, he was the he did the fishing report on the radio. He owned the Palm Beach uh, Theatre. He owned another motel in uh, in um, in Miami, and and he was building a big house himself. And I spent a bit of time with Bert, but he he wasn't a, a he wasn't a a, a a mentor in the sense that he couldn't give me the time. And and then I, I sort of thought I need to find a mentor, you know, someone who who uh, who who's who's been in the business for 20, 30 years, done lots of deals that, that can really guide me because I had a lot of energy, but no no direction. Then Fitzgerald reached out to the wealthiest person he knew for guidance. I reached out to the wealthiest guy I could find who owned shopping centers, and he connected me with a, a Jewish guy called George Margolis. And George was a guy who owned probably half of Cavill Avenue, Surface Paradise, uh, back in the day, and lost it all when he went into land subdivision in uh, Gladstone in the 1970s, in the crash of 1970s. And he was emerging, and he moved back up to Queensland in 1979, and he was funded by some the, some Jewish connection from Melbourne, and he he took me in, and literally took me under 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 his wing. That's great. And this is this is this is probably the turning point that I say to people because success success is is about your habits, you know. And George used to say to me, John, do two things every day you don't like doing. And I remember. I remember thinking to myself, well, the one thing I hate doing is getting up early. So <laughs> I, I, I thought that that is the number one on my list. So since then, I made a dedicated and he said, then do two things every day you don't like doing and then learn to like your dislikes. Learn to like your dislikes. Make that a habit. So I used to get up every morning at six o'clock, six o'clock, six o'clock. And now, right, you know, 30 plus years on, 35 years on, I'm still getting up. In fact, I get up at probably five o'clock every day. And the other thing that he said that, that I hated doing was knocking on doors, you know, oh, just the, the, the fear of rejection of, of all that sort of stuff. And I, I just knocked on doors and knocked on doors and knocked on doors. And today I'm still knocking on doors. You know, I, I, I'm still doing that, whether it's doors, you know, billionaires doors in China. Uh, I'm just out there who, if someone's moving and shaking, I want to know what's going on. I want to meet them. I, you know, I want to, want to find out about it. And I think they're the, they're, they're the habits that, that I've adopted, you know, but firstly, learn to like your dislikes, um, you know, and, and, and most importantly, you know, face those obstacles and challenges rather than turn away from it. His mentor also taught him another valuable lesson, which became the basis for Fitzgerald's book, Seven Steps to Wealth. And the second thing he taught me, which is interesting, you know, other than that, there's only truth in numbers and success is repetition. And that was that was a, a, a penny that really did take a while for me to drop. And that's the, the, you know, when I wrote the book, Seven Steps to Wealth, which is we're going to talk about a little bit later in its eighth edition. The one thing that I tried to communicate or the two things that I tried to communicate to Australians about real estate. Number one is that the money's in the land. The land is the appreciating asset. And number two the mathematics of success is compound growth. That's what it is. That's the maths. Warren Buffett uses it. Bill Gates uses it. Anyone uses compound growth. So if someone's got a formula for success, I will ask them, what is the formula that gives you compound growth? And that's what I learned from my mentors. So that was the, that was the, the beginning so-called of me. I, I, I'd have to say I outgrew George in the real estate uh, side of it in, you know, within a few years. His parents also had somewhat of an influence in his property journey. 
if Dad had been alive, he would have st- he 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 would have had a, a strong interest in property because I knew he loved property. Um, and Mum sort of when I because I'd been working in property, she started buying houses, you know, and and she did she did well out of it. Uh, so, uh, but she wasn't an active property investor um, or you know or, or somebody committed to. Uh, to to that as a um, uh, as an uh, as an investment tool that was going to make her wealthy, albeit albeit she did she had you know quite a few houses um, and she did build up a, um, a you know when she sold her businesses and she did she retired sold her businesses she did she put her money into property because she felt it was better in property and this is back in the in the uh, you know the seventies eighties high inflation times she felt her money was better in property than than in the bank. And Fitzgerald's passion for property is clear through his close connection to the real estate industry over so many years. I've never been in any other industry. I've done just just real estate. So I started selling real estate, then I did syndication, then development, and then you know, then when I could, just started buying and selling and trading myself, developing, and then building my own portfolio. So I have not done, uh, have not done uh, another another job. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into Fitzgerald's property journey when he first started to invest. I started building houses, um, spec houses, and I was buying land for like $16,000 a block, a 1,000 square meter blocks, and building houses for around 30000 The deal that allowed him to continue to grow to great heights as an investor? I sort of thought, well, look, if I go down and see the developers and ask them to loan me $3 million and I take them a deal. And that's next. I'm Tyne Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Western Australia is tipped to be the next property hotspot. If you're looking to invest and build in WA, take advantage of the affordable land market and record build times with Plunkett Homes. Visit propertyinvestory.com forward slash build to find out why they are WA's most established home builder. With over 150 years of experience, Plunkett Homes helps you develop turnkey homes across WA. To get your fixed price demolition or site works and to maximize profits and minimize time, visit propertyinvestory.com forward slash build. And now back to the show. The first deal Fitzgerald undertook was in building spec houses. No, the first deal I ever did, the first big deal I ever did was um, was sort of like a. Uh, um, I started building houses, um, spec houses, and I was buying land for like sixteen thousand dollars a block, a thousand square meter blocks, and building houses for around thirty thousand. Uh, so the total cost was forty six thousand. I'm selling them for fifty five thousand dollars, and and that was a lot of profit, you know, back back then. And I was I was I was sort of trying to get a business up and running to do that and my skill set wasn't actually in building but my skill set was actually finding and buying the land and buying the land really really well. Since then he has turned all that into a system that works but how did he manage to balance his career with actively buying and selling property? Well you know the, the thing about my mentors is that they teach you habits and those habits lead to uh, you you know building a uh, team of people around you um, because you attract people similar to you, same habits. And once you realize that, you realize that two plus two equals five. So I then had had builders who 
hey, John, we want to do business with you. We like you. You know, you, you, you get up early, you run. And, and had other people, you know, I want to do stuff, I want to do stuff. And, and when you get people saying that, you know, uh, you think, wow, I've, 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 got, I've got resources, I, I, you know, beyond myself. Um, so so that's, that's when, you know, the, 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 the penny started to drop for me. By the age of 20, just two years into his journey, he found a great opportunity, but it would cost him. So back in 1982, 83, I, um, I, I started knocking on doors in Sydney, you know, and uh, I was, what, 20, 20 years old, asking them to loan me $3 million because, because by that stage, I'd actually been buying and selling property. So I always think really big, you know, and um, uh, uh, I thought money was coming to Southeast Queensland from mainly Sydney and Melbourne. Um, and... I, and a lot of it was, uh, you know, the, the wealthy uh, developers, and, and a lot of them happened to be Jewish. And I, I sort of thought, well, look, if I go down and see the developers and ask them to loan me $3 million, and I take them a deal, and, uh, and what I did was I found a deal. There was a, there was a, a, a massive block of land uh, in a Logan home behind the Logan Hyperdome. And it was approved and zoned for 700 blocks. And the owner had gone broke. And the owner was a guy called John Bartlett, and he'd, he'd gone into default. And the mortgage to that property was, was by uh, a company called Entrad. And Entrad uh, were just a, a, a property holding company that sold it to Bartlett and had a mortgage. And I knew the guys at Entrad. And I said to them, Look, what if I can find a buyer to back me, you know, to, to buy it? I'll buy that block of land off you for $2.8 million. So they took a chance on me and gave me six months free option to find a, uh, a partner or backer to buy that block of land. Now, the land uh, was about 250 hectares. And I knew that the secret was that it was, it was approved for 700 lots. But, but the average size block was around 11 or 1,200 square metres. And I could redesign the subdivision down to 700 square metres and improve the, the yield to maybe 1,200 lots. So I knocked on doors in Sydney asking people to, you know, loan me $3 million and um, we were going to buy this property, sell it in a year's time when I get it rezoned and, you know, upzoned, sell it for five and a half, six million dollars and they'll make a million dollars. So I thought it was a good deal for them, a good deal for me. He soon found this was a lot harder than he thought. 20 doors just shut in my face. So, well, you know, I mean, people laughed at me and saying, you know, one, one guy, one guy, because I like 20 something years old, where's your dad? You know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that we'd be embarrassed. We'd be embarrassed, you know, giving a 20 year old $3 million. But, but there was one door that just opened. And it was a, a, a company called Daneford Limited who had built most of the high-rise on the Gold Coast. And the, the chairman was a guy called Michael Hershon who, who, who went on to become just a fantastic, like a father figure and a mentor of mine. And it took him five minutes to weigh me up and make a decision and said, here's what we'll do. I'll get to know you over the next couple of months. And if I like you and my wife likes you, we'll do the deal. So he came up to Queensland, uh, we spent some time, 
and it was it's a, it's you know mentorship and it, their personal relationships. What are my habits? What do I do? You know, all of those sorts of things. Uh, and they funded it. And sure enough, um, the, the 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 we bought the block for two point eight million. We uh, uh, I rezoned it for twelve hundred blocks, and then um, six months later, I took them a contract for five point eight million dollars. Wow! For that property, and this is this is thirty years ago. It's still yeah, a lot of money. That's a lot I took, of money. So yeah, and I sat there, and there were, there were three old Jewish guys, Morvan, uh, Doctor Morvan Dan, Tibor Balog, and Michael Hershon. And I'm sitting there, and I was I, I was sitting there. I wasn't I wasn't shitting myself. I was just sitting there, you know, opposite the table thinking I'm the friggin' golden boy and I've just made a million bucks because the deal I did was in, they get half the profit plus 20% interest on their money, wow. which, which at, at the time wasn't a lot, you know, because they, uh, they'd, um, you know, they hadn't put in the, the whole $3 million. We borrowed money from the bank. So the, 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 the net to me was I would get a million bucks. And this is this is a, this is an amazing story. This is life changing. And I'm sitting there with these three old guys, and uh, I said, "Guys, um, it's been fantastic doing business with you. Here's the contract for five point eight million dollars. You sign it, and we're 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 done. You know, and we we'll celebrate, and then we'll be each go our own way." And, and they looked happen? at me and they, they looked at me and said, "What are you talking about?" And I said. What do you mean? What am I talking about? I said, we did a deal where you loan me $3 million. I buy this, we sell it, and then we, we, we're, we're going. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. They said, you're our boy now. You, oh. you, you, you're, you're with us. So, you know, we, you, you, you're, you've got to do all deals with us. And I said, what, what, what? Yeah, that's how it works. You know, if you have success with someone, you keep going. I said, I said, well, look, guys, I, I'm telling you now, I was 23 or something. I said, guys, I've made a million bucks out of this. And, you know, I, I want the million bucks. And they said, well, no, look, let's develop the property. You know, 1,200 blocks in Brisbane, let's develop the, the, the property. And I said, no, no, I, I, I want the million bucks. And they said, what do, you want a, what do you want a million dollars for? I said, oh, you know, I just threw them. I, I want to buy a new house. And they said, how much is a new house? I said, uh, you know, 400000 So they got the checkbook out and wrote me a check for $400,000 and said, here's the, here's the 400000 Go and buy yourself a new house, tear up the contract, and let's get to work. At 23 years old, it was the biggest check he'd ever seen in his life, which he believed to be a divine sign in the direction he was meant to be heading towards. I took the check, sat in the park, looked at it, and thought, you know, the, the, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a person of destiny. God or the universe has put me in this position, sent me to these people, we've connected us. They are very, very successful. Let's go for the ride. You know, let's just, let's just go for the ride. And, you know, I still had an awful lot to learn. But, you know, why would I check out? You know, why would I check out with just a million bucks uh, when, you know, I could tap into their their resources and uh you know and and better than that they were they were just great people they knew everybody they knew everything they they're all in their 650s 60s so you know they'd been there was just a wealth of information and and their company was exciting you know and I, I wanted to be a be a part of what they were doing as well 
He believed this shining start to his property journey was the biggest aha moment that led him to achieve more great things along the way. You never really do design your future. All you do is just visualize where you want to get to and just let, let, let the universe take you there. And it'll introduce you to people and place, take you places that you'd never dreamed you, you would get to, but then you'll feel the magic and you'll feel it start to click. Go with it. Absolutely go with it. It's, it's, really, it's really important. And look, you know, I, I've got, I, I have got and have had you know, lots of you know, solid mentors. I learn from everybody I possibly can. But that was Michael Hirschhorn was my closest. Uh, he's, they're, they're, the three of them have all passed away now. But uh, the, the, my closest confidant, uh, like a father figure to me, just a fantastic human being. For those who are wondering what happened after the dust had settled, eventually Fitzgerald worked off the company's residual debts and was able to attain his financial goals through becoming a developing success story. So back in the 80s, it was lunch and free money. And um, uh, Daneford were a massive property development company. They had over 500 million dollars in debt in um, they were building six hotels they built uh, brighton Los Angeles. they built the one at bondi uh, ride uh, they had office buildings they had terry hills the biggest office park in australia they had they had just stuff everywhere and then i was their queensland partner and i just the, the only the rules i had for them was i could use their balance sheet but i couldn't borrow from the same banks as they did because they had a cap on their lending so I, I could go to any bank. They had 28 banks that they borrowed from. I could go to any bank but their banks. So I did, uh, I was buying land, you know, using their capital and their balance sheet uh, right through the 1980s. And then in 1991, the Paul Keating's recession that we had to have, the banks in Australia absolutely ran out of money. And, um, you know, State Bank of New South Wales, for example, uh, who doesn't exist anymore, uh, Commonwealth Bank took them over. Westpac lost $3 billion on AGC. 28 foreign banks left Australia. So, and this is where, this is where you know, Australia really did uh, teeter on the edge of it. And Daneford, their company, that was a public company, but they had no personal guarantees. And those three guys were wealthy, very wealthy individuals themselves. Uh, they just put their company into liquidation. And what I ended up doing was they were a partner in my business, so I bought out the the receiver of the all their Queensland operations, and um, uh, I was funded then by uh, by the State Bank in New South Wales, ironically, who were you know teetering on the edge of administration themselves, but took a punt on me, you know, which is which is uh, which which was worked out really well, oh, yeah. yeah. And and what I ended up with was development sites, you know, probably. Um, thousands of blocks of land to develop um, and, you know, buildings. I'd build buildings for commercial office buildings and, you know, uh, and, and inherited a, a portfolio, but with debt. And then I just had to just work my ass off to, uh, to get my debt down to a comfortable level. And since then, I, I've literally just been developing, developing, developing. However, despite all the wealth he accumulated through those deals, he has always been involved in giving back to the community. I actually took a bit of a left turn because Michael Hershon said to me, you know, when I was about 25 years old, 26, hey, what are you going to be remembered for? And I said, what do you mean? So don't, don't be remembered for making money. Do something, give back. So in when I was 20, I think six, I started a, um, a charity called Tugulawa 
and uh, that works with youth at risk and then uh, converted it to a school. And now we have a, a cutting edge school with 100 kids, but there are 100 kids who have been kicked out of mainstream schools. And what I do, I, I spend uh, Monday mornings and often a Thursday morning uh, at the school. And uh, today, these days, you know, I, I sort of will step back from the business and spend more time at the school. That's what I really that's what I really get an interest in. And the byproduct of, you know, what happened after Daneford. What happened after Daneford, I think, was that uh, Michael sort of taught me that that whilst you can be young and successful, you do need to learn humility. And the only way you can pro- pro- uh, probably or possibly learn humility is to give back unconditionally. So I, I took that route. And that might have helped me with the banks in 1991 as well, because they saw that, you know, that I had a registered charity that we're doing stuff. So I thought they, they probably helped out. Did a lot of development. And then in 1997, 98, I took another turn because I realized that Australia's biggest problem is that our baby boomers are retiring and they're going to be broke. And and I knew that land was the the the, the secret. I had to communicate to them how to build wealth out of real estate. So I, I wrote a simple book called Seven Steps to Wealth on two premises. One is focus on the land because land appreciates, buildings depreciate. And secondly, compound growth. And I've just literally been teaching Australians about that over the last 20 years. And that's been a, 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 a big part of my energy and my efforts uh, of my business is, uh, is just teaching, teaching that. And that's what you know, took us to the eighth edition that's, uh, that's been released in the, last, um, in the last few months. To disclose a worst investing moment that has transpired in his journey, Fitzgerald has learned that timing is crucial. What you learn is that cash is like oxygen. If you run out of cash, it'll be over very quickly for you. And the term, you know, any property developer um, throughout the years uh, have has always, you know, if you've if you've survived 20, 30 years and all that sort of thing, then you would have had to have uh, uh, worked out how to survive running out of cash. And I think I think when I talk about probably the worst uh, uh, deal, and you know, there's no such thing as a bad deal. It's just bad timing. Land will always go up. It's just have you got your timing right? And I, I you know, I, I lost a million dollars once in. Um, uh, I bought a subdivision in uh, Redland Bay. I bought it off a lovely, a lovely family, um, subject to getting myself the approval, which I often do, uh, for you know, three hundred odd blocks. And um, my time to go unconditional uh, was up and I took a punt that I was going to get the approval um, within 90 days, which is when I was due to settle. And um, I couldn't, I didn't get the approval and I found out later on that that, uh, there might have been some shenanigans going on with the council, that sort of thing. And you hear about that all the time and, you know, that's just, that's just part of the trade, I suppose. But um, uh, I didn't get the approval, so the bank wouldn't lend me the money to to settle the block because it was owned rural, and I couldn't settle it. And I had to pay them. Uh, they, they sold it, and I had to pay them the difference, and that cost me a million bucks. That's the worst deal I've ever done from a from a um, an active perspective. From a passive, you know, I, I take a long term view, and I've never done a bad deal. I always do my homework. I always do my numbers. So the, where you'll get yourself into trouble in property is timing. So inspired by John Fitzgerald's story, 
We'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Invest Story, where we'll talk about his strategy. There's only truth in numbers. So I'm looking at um, uh, land in high growth areas and I'm, I'm trying to get the biggest block of land for the smallest amount. The personal habits which have contributed to his success. At the end of each day, I want to have achieved a, a, an outcome. As small as it might be, I want to have achieved an outcome. I don't want to get stuck in process. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory. Also, are you looking at buying property in 2018? Would you like expert tips and advice on the best ways you can purchase property? Whether you're a new or experienced investor, learn from the experts by downloading the Property Investment Buying Handbook. It contains the best tips and advice from 37 of Australia's leading property experts. Simply visit propertyinveststory.com and subscribe to get your copy right now. Thanks for listening.